Hello, and welcome to First Baptist Church. Let's pray together. And so, Lord, we do. Yet again, we bow before you, humbling ourselves and saying that you are God and we are not. Lord, there are days where we can trace your hand and we do so gladly and we can understand all the ways in which you are working and the things that you are doing for your glory and for our good. We're so thankful for those days. Lord, we must confess that there are also days when we don't understand. We, we can't wrap our minds or our hearts around the events of this fallen world. We find it harder to trace your hand. But Lord, in the words of a great preacher long ago, when we cannot trace your hand, help us trust your heart. Lord, we're thankful that you are here with us. We're thankful that you never leave us and you never forsake us, that you are with us always, even unto the end of the age, and Lord, always means always. And so, Lord, on this weekend that we set aside to pay tribute to those who have stood in the gap for us and to remember those who have gone on to glory before us, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds to make us more like Jesus and that you would encourage our souls, Lord, in the very deepest parts of who we are. May we see Jesus high and lifted up and may we be drawn unto Jesus, the one who invites us through him to come to the Father and transcend all the circumstances that this world presents. So we ask your blessing now on our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at three verses today, 22, 23, and 24. But as you turn there, I want to give you some context into what we're going to talk about today. The context on this Memorial Day weekend is probably going to stretch us just a little bit. So I want to prepare you. But God's Word does that sometimes. God's Word stretches us and shows us that there are realities of which we are often not aware. And that God is bigger than we thought He was. I believe He's going to show us that today. Many of you know that I am a fan of country music, just like everybody who loves Jesus. And uh, that was a joke. Don't email me, all right? But I do like country music. And there, there are some songs that just get down to the heart and get down, bring a tear to the eye, you know, the way that only a good country song can. And then there are some that I absolutely cannot stand. Well, here's one of the ones that I cannot stand. It was released in 1998 by Steve Warner, who I think is amazing. I just don't like this one song. The chorus of this song that he released in 1998 is, it's entitled Holes in the Floor of Heaven, and the chorus says, because there's holes in the floor of heaven and her tears are pouring down, that's how you know she's watching, wishing she could be here now. And sometimes if you're lonely, just remember she can see there's holes in the floor of heaven and she's watching over you and me. And you may disagree with me, but I can't stand that song. And I'm going to tell you why. Because the idea is that those who have gone on before are sitting in heaven watching us and so upset that they can't be here with us that they're just crying the entire time. That's hell. That's not heaven. 
And that's nowhere revealed in Scripture that that's what's happening. Incidentally, when it rains, that's called precipitation. It's the water cycle. The angels are not bowling causing the thunder. It's the way it is, all right? But I, I, I just I don't care for that song because if that's the reality to which we get to look forward, that ain't much to look forward to, amen? But thankfully, God's Word paints a much better picture than Steve Warner did in that one song. God's Word tells us that something mystical happens when we worship. I don't know if you know this or not, but as we've just been involved in this corporate worship service, it's not only our church that's worshiping. There are churches all over our community, all over our county that are worshiping together, and we're joining together with them. Did you know that? And, and not only in our county and our community, there are churches all throughout our time zone that are worshiping right now, and, and our voices are joining together with them, and, and not just in our time zone, but all throughout our nation, all throughout all the continents, at various times and in various places and in various ways on this, the first day of the week, God's people are gathering to worship Him. And so when we gather to worship Him, we're joining into a chorus that goes all around the globe. Isn't that amazing? But it's even more amazing than that. It's not just that we are joining in with the chorus of the saints who are worshiping God all around the globe. The Bible tells us that we are joining in with that which we cannot now see. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24, which you can find on page 1009 of the Red Pew Bible if you're in the room, say this. Listen to this. This is amazing. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The writer of Hebrews had previously been talking about when God's people wandering in the wilderness came to Mount Sinai and they trembled because the presence of God had descended upon the mountain and they, they didn't want to hear from God directly because they didn't think they could stand it by the way they were right. But there was a physical mountain, physical tablets, physical presence, and what the writer of Hebrews is saying is you've come to something much better than that. You have come to this gathering of God's people, both here on earth and those who've gone on to glory, and innumerable angels arrayed in festal gathering, and what are you doing? You have come to join your little voice in with that mighty chorus, praising and worshiping God. I told you J.I. Packer was a, a theologian that meant a lot to me. Let me tell you what he says. He says, essentially, the church is, was, and always will be a single worshiping community, permanently gathered in the true sanctuary, which is in the heavenly Jerusalem, the place of God's presence. Here, all who are alive in Christ, the physically living with the physically dead, worship continually. In the world, however, this one church appears in the form of local congregations, each one called to fulfill the role of being a microcosm of the church as a whole. And so the idea is this, the church 
is not just this body that meets here at the corner of 12th and Chestnut, nor is it the body in our community or in our country or around the world. No, the church transcends space and time because our God transcends space and time and has called us to himself. So when we worship, we are joining our voices together, even with those who've gone before us. Wayne Grudem, in his systematic theology, says, this is the reality of new covenant worship. It actually is worship in the presence of God, though we do not now see him with our physical eyes, nor do we see the angels gathered around his throne or the spirits of believers who have gone before and are now worshiping in God's presence. But it's all there, and it's all real, more real and more permanent than the physical creation that we see around us, which will someday be destroyed in the final judgment. And if we believe Scripture to be true, we do, then we must also believe it to be actually true that we ourselves come to that place and join our voices with those already worshiping in heaven whenever we come to God in worship. Our only appropriate response is this, and the writer of Hebrews says, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So here's what I want to tell you, and this is the theme of the message. When we worship the line is blurred between heaven and earth. When we worship, the line is blurred between heaven and earth. A few years ago, I was in Greece with some people that are right now in this room whom I love very dearly. And we were seeing God do amazing things and getting to meet people and experience things that just have shaped my life in ways I cannot enumerate. But I also missed my family while I was there. And being on the other side of the world, you got to be creative about when you talk on the phone. Now, I'm thankful that we live in a world where we can talk on the phone, even on different sides of the world. But, but it was amazing to me. I would go out where we were, and I would look up, and there was this large full moon. And I would look at that moon, and I would think, you know, even though we're separated by a great distance, we can both see that same moon. Isn't that amazing? Even though we're separated by a great distance, we, we have the same sorts of landmarks and we participate together in that. Well, here's what I want you to think of when you worship. Even though we're separated by a great distance from those who've gone on before us, we join with them, joining our voices with them in the chorus that they are raising in praise and worship to God. Now, you and I still do it in the context of a sin-fallen world. You and I still do it in a, in a context in which we cannot see all the things that we believe, but we walk by faith and we worship by faith. And those who've gone before us, well, they're seeing it. They've traded in their faith for sight. See, when you can see, you don't have to believe. You just look. And so when we worship, even now, we are joining in with them. Now, you may say, I thought this was First Baptist Church. That seems a little, a little crazy. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And so you may be separated by a great distance from the ones that you love who've gone on before you, but kind of like looking up at the moon from different parts of the world, it's the same focus. We're joining together in worship of our God who transcends all. So when we worship... The line is blurred between heaven and earth. This week, one of our dear church members, a lady that so many of us love, she would have been sitting right back there, Jean Carlisle. 
she went home to Jesus. And I got to be with her in her last days a few times. And she was ready. She was ready. And it wasn't because she was so good. It was because the Jesus she loved had paid in full the debt of her sin. She was ready because of his grace to go home to be with him. And then she did. But you know, today, even though she's not sitting right there, we're still worshiping with her. Because it's the same God. And we join our voices together with that heavenly chorus that is ongoing right now to say, Lord, you are worthy when we understand and even when we don't. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at each of these three verses, one at a time, and see what God might speak to our hearts. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Our first point, when we worship, we join with the angels. When we worship, we join with the angels. How many angels are there? Well, in Revelation chapter 5, we learn there are myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands. They're all created at the same time, and they exist to worship and serve Almighty God. The word angel in the Greek means messenger. So an angel is a messenger and a minister of God that, that, that serves him. We don't become angels when we die. God already made all the angels. Some of them fell. We call those demons. But here's the reality of the angels who did not fall away. They serve and worship Almighty God. And the Bible gives us a few glimpses of that angelic realm. One of my favorites comes in Isaiah chapter 6. In fact, in my office here, I've got a pulpit is the pulpit that used to be down at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Well, they don't use it, so I sit it right there in my office. And I've got an open Bible, and this is the passage to which it stays open. Isaiah chapter 6. And in verses 1 through 6, Isaiah is receiving his call. And he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So we see there around the throne of God are the seraphim. That's the plural of seraph, and it means burning one. And these, these creatures, these angels, they call out to one another in the presence of God constantly, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. So anytime we cry out to God and speak to him and sing to him of his holiness, we are joining that chorus that's already happening. That's in the presence of God right now. Ezekiel, when he was called to ministry, described what he saw, and through Ezekiel's vision, we get the cherubim, which is the plural of cherub. That's where this comes from. Incidentally, I'm going to read what Ezekiel saw, and it's not going to sound like a little naked baby with wings shooting an arrow, just so you know. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. 
Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. And the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces, and their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward. Wherever the Spirit would go, they went, without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Whoa. Surrounding the throne of God, these creatures, these living creatures, these cherubim, they worship. We see the cherubim appear several times. First, we see them posted as guards at the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were expelled. We learn that Satan was a cherub before his fall. And whenever they appear in Scripture, they seem to be involved in a protecting and defending position. According to Robert Leitner in his Angels, Satan, and Demons, he says, These holy creatures with the spectacular appearance are seen also in the decorations of the mercy seat, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, in the innermost sanctuary of the tabernacle of Israel's worship. Here God's special glory was present. For this reason, the writer of Hebrews referred to these angels as cherubim of glory. So when we worship, we join in with them. And then in Revelation chapter 4, The Apostle John gives us an image, a picture, a glimpse into the throne room of heaven. And in verses 1 through 8, he says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, And around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, and the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them had six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. These living creatures cry out with what is known theologically as the Trishagion. In Hebrew, they didn't have good, better, best. They had good, 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 good. So the Trishagion is three holy. It is the pinnacle of holiness. So when they cry out, holy, 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 they are saying God is the pinnacle of all holiness. And incidentally, when you and I join in that chorus, First song I taught my little boy, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning, my song shall rise to thee. 
you and I join ourselves in that chorus with the cherubim, with the seraphim, with the living creatures. We are worshiping alongside the angels, but that's not all. Because look at what verse 23 says. And to the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Our second point, when we worship, we join the saints. When we worship, we join the saints. In Revelation, we get a glimpse into what some of the saints who have gone before are doing, the elders on the thrones. It says that in verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. One of my favorite books, book entitled Heaven by theologian Randy Alcorn, he said this, in a metaphysical sense, we've already entered heaven's community. By seeing ourselves as part of the heavenly society, we can learn to rejoice now in what heaven's residents rejoice in. They rejoice in God, His glory, His grace, and His beauty. They rejoice in repentant sinners, the saints' faithfulness in Christ's likeness, and the beauty of God's creation. They rejoice in the ultimate triumph of God's kingdom and the coming judgment of sin. Heaven, then, isn't only our future home. It's our home already, waiting over the next hill. No wonder the devil's so intent on keeping us from grasping our standing in Christ. For if we see ourselves in heaven with Christ, we'll be drawn to worship and serve him here and now, creating ripples in heaven's waters that extend outward for all eternity. So as I said with Miss Jean, she's not here with us today, but we're worshiping with her still. Every time we gather, we remember those who've gone before, and we worship with them still. And we cling to the hope that they now embrace and the hope that continues to embrace us. Look at verse 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Our third and final point. When we worship, we rest in God's grace. When we worship, we rest in God's grace grace. You might have had the thought when I was describing the scenes the Bible gives us of the throne room of God. Whew, it seems intense. How could I ever be invited to be near that? Well, you know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What is the foundation of that confidence? A couple verses earlier. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. What is the confidence with which we approach God's throne? It is the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
when we worship, we rest in God's grace. Dr. David Jeremiah, in his answers to your questions about heaven, says this. Listen to this. Worship is an avenue that leads us from the emptiness of this world to the fullness of the next world. It is the street that leads from decay and discouragement to renewal and glory. When we fail to worship, we confine ourselves to the despair of this life. So on this Memorial Day weekend, in the face of a sin-fallen world where tragedy really happens, we lift our eyes to Jesus. We lift our hearts in worship. We look to the one who is greater than all, for in him we find everlasting hope.